Good morning. Welcome to the show. And uh, I know everybody just out there getting ready for uh, the Super Bowl. I got to tell you, I have been trying to get this guy for quite a while um, just because he, he he's an icon uh, as it relates to the NFL and football and all of that. He's moved around because his talents have been needed in different places. Um, but He's now with the Washington, there's a new name for him now, <laughs> the Washington Commanders. And he spent some time with the Detroit Lions. He was out in San Francisco. Uh, he comes from the locker room, y'all, right? He, you know, played at Florida State University, uh, played in the league for many, many years. And he's just an all-around great guy. There's only one thing he did that that I didn't like, y'all. I'll talk about that later. But uh, but anyway, Mr. General Manager Martin Mayhew of the Washington Commanders. Hey, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me on, Sean. I really appreciate it. Well, listen, man, I, I want to jump right in because it's Super Bowl Sunday. And on a day like this, I know you're as busy as any other day. And I know you have great interest in it like I do. Uh, but we've got a lot to talk about. Um, I, I wanted to start with your playing days, though, Martin. You were a star athlete in our capital city of Tallahassee. You went to Florida High, graduated and stood out again in college as a, a, a standout athlete at Florida State University, Golden Knowles. Played in the NFL for a very long time. Uh, eventually went to the Super Bowl with the, you know, the team that was once known as the, the Washington at, at that <laughs> Exactly. Right. Now known as the Washington Commanders, as I said earlier. Listen, man, and, and I'm just jumping into your mental now. How, how much has the game changed since since you were in the league? Oh, it's changed a lot. It has really changed a lot uh, in, in so many different ways. Um, I'll tell you one, one real positive thing about the way the game has changed. It's much safer now. You know, um, with the in the implementation of some of the rule changes, eliminating the peel back blocks, eliminating decapitating the guy coming across the middle, um, and some of the things that they've done to make the game safer um, are, are really appreciated. Um, so that that's that's one big difference. Uh, I think the offensive systems and defensive systems are much more complex now. Uh, you have these combination coverages and offenses running uh, different types of schemes that really multiple type offenses so uh it's it's changed a lot and 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 really for the better i think i mean when you watch the game you watch the ratings and you watch the fan interest um everybody is tuned into what's happening in the nfl because it is the the most exciting game that's out there the most exciting professional sport that's really out there right now so it's, it's, it's been there's been changes but they've all been i think uh for the best so speaking of 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 you said it's safer this targeting thing do you do you see there uh, another rule? Did this season um, put it in a y'all in a position where folks are talking about whether you have the right rule uh, as it relates to targeting? Yeah, you know, I think there's always going to be some controversy over that. I mean, you, you have to really, you know, the, the, the purists 
who've been watching the game for a long time probably miss some of the violent aspects of things that happen. But I, I think those rule changes are, 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 are permanent, you know, just simply for the fact of the safety of the players, the legal liability associated with not having the players in a safe environment. Those changes are not going to go away. Can they be officiated better? Probably. Uh, and I think the league will be working on that constantly to try to get that to get that perfect. So it's pretty quick when you see a guy get glanced and then you see a flag thrown yeah. or you, you know, you see a hit that is, is in, in, in that range, but that's not really tip the head and it happens so fast. You see flags thrown. I think we can do a better job of, of, of officiating those calls, but I don't think you're going to see those rules change. And I, I, I really don't think those rules should change. Uh, you look at some of the players that have had issues from, from concussions, uh, some of the older players. I think the league wants to try to eliminate that aspect of it and keep the game growing, keep young kids playing the game. So I think those changes are, are were, were, were necessary. I don't see them going away. I think what you could see, uh, if, if, if there is change, you could be able to see those calls being reviewed. That's what that I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't see uh, taking the head out of the game. Uh, you know, targeting. You know, between the shoulders and the knees. I don't see that aspect of it really uh, changing. Just, just from a, from a player safety, like I said, and legal liability standpoint. Yeah. And and that's that's a good thing. That's actually a good thing to hear. So you were a great defensive back, man. Um, how would you you handle covering these guys that we're gonna see today in the Super Bowl? You got the KU, the PP, <laughs> the OBJ, and you got Chase. I mean, uh, they they be pretty brutal to try to cover then and now, right? Yeah, I tell you what, I, I would have to either call timeout or ask for help. I think to try to cover these guys <laughs> today. Uh, these guys are, are special, and uh, you know the, the you know the athlete today. You get a lot of guys that are failing in basketball that are moving in, into our sport. So you're seeing these receivers that are 6'4", 6'5". Um, you're seeing these tight ends that are 6'5", 6'6", 6'7". Yeah, and so the 5'8", DB, there's a little still still hanging around, but not a whole lot. And uh, I, I think it's just going to be uh, evolving. And these guys, the way they're training, how much faster they are, how much bigger they are, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge to be able to cover those guys. Wow. Well, I mean, y'all heard it from a great defensive back himself that that uh, it's a different job today because you're just dealing with much bigger cats, man. Wow. Um, you, when you retired from football, though, Martin, uh, a lot of people don't know this unless they go to read about you. But you you attended Georgetown Law School. You received your law degree in 2000. Uh, not many players retire from the NFL and immediately attend law school and Mar, you may not remember man but I remember the first time I really got to ever have a conversation with you you and I were standing in line to go take the LSAT um, and I was like oh man this guy this guy gonna take the LSAT this guy gonna go to law school of course you fin you did your NFL thing and then went to law school but what made you make the decision was it just something you knew you were going to do or was it something during the process of playing in the NFL that made you say, okay, I'm definitely going to do that? Yeah, you know, I actually, I, I do recall that conversation. And I, one, one thing about it, you, you, you may have gotten, but at that time, I was actually still playing. So no, I do remember that. Was, yeah. yeah, yeah, I was still playing. I was, I was in the league then. So 
I came in as a 10th round draft pick, which probably was the best thing to happen to me because I had to earn everything that I got. And each year I kind of felt like this might be it. This might be my last you know, shot at it. So I was always thinking and forward thinking and planning what I was going to do next. And so the law school thing came to mind and I actually started at Georgetown when I was playing here with uh, Washington. So um, I applied, I got in, I attempted deferred enrollment. Um, they called me up. And they said, there's a way we can do this. You can go to the night program during the fall and then go to the day program during the spring. We worked it out. So I actually started here. And I went for a year and a half when I was playing here. And then uh, free agency came along. I signed with Tampa. And that just was not workable then. And uh, transferring didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I went down to Tampa. I played in Tampa four years. And when I retired from playing football, I, uh, I, I just didn't want to quit. I, I wanted to make sure I finished what I started. So we moved back to Virginia. I was married back then. We moved back to Virginia, and um, I started back at uh, Georgetown, you know. So that's kind of how it all went down. And uh, at the time, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. I want to be an agent or work for a club or, you know, or I wasn't sure exactly what I would do, but as I went through the process, I realized I had a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge about professional football. And so I decided to go the management side, work the management, uh, NFL management type of type of career. And uh, got a couple of internships, internships with the National Football League in, in uh, New York City. I had one here with Washington. I worked for a law firm here in my second year summer that does a lot of labor law work for uh, the uh, NFL and uh, I kind of followed that followed that path and uh, you know ended up going to, to, to the XFL for, for about a year and I got a call from my buddy Matt Millen to come and work for him in uh, Detroit and that's kind of the way it all started Wow man just in short do you I mean was the do you think the law degree sort of helped you I mean you're general manager of a major NFL team right now in our nation's capital I mean you've worked at the top of of other big teams in major uh, states and cities I mean when I when I think of you know how did you rise from a, a player from the locker room to the big chair in the executive office I I I wonder if that legal education sort of uh well i wonder if it helped you do you i mean what would you say to oh, that yeah certainly 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 did um one in a lot of different ways one um when i started off i was doing uh more operations and i was staff counsel so i was working with our workers comp attorneys working with league attorneys on player grievances so my first job in i, I wasn't at a law firm but I was doing some legal work uh, I was also in charge of organizing the training camp and the uh, and the team travel so I was negotiating hotel contracts charter agreements with airlines bus agreements I was doing those kinds of things when I first got got started here in uh, in, in uh, Detroit in 2001 uh, that evolved into working on the salary cap working on contract negotiation uh, and those kinds of things. So I took every negotiation seminar that was offered at Georgetown Law School. Wow! So, wow! Uh, I was I was prepared for that, 
Um, and uh, eventually, after about three or four years, I started getting involved more with the personnel, with the player evaluation, with writing reports and scouting players. And I had some experience as a player, of course, doing that, mostly scouting the guy that I'm playing against, receivers, running backs. But it evolved into uh, having knowledge about operations, the legal dynamics, the salary cap, contract negotiations, agent relations, as well as, uh, as, as well as player evaluation. So I kind of had the full scope of everything, but the law degree really got me started with what I was doing when I first got to, to Detroit. So it definitely wow. helped me out. Yeah, no, I'm glad. That, I appreciate you saying that. And so parents out there, as I've said to you on this show before, you can, uh, law degree just gives you a great foundation, legitimacy that you can do anything. So tell your kids that uh, as they're trying to figure out all the things they want to do. And I actually say, if you don't know what you want to do when you're leaving undergrad, go to law school. I mean, because it is a great foundation for almost anything you want to do. So parents, tell your, tell your kids that. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Martin Mayhew, good friend, uh, knows this area, went to high school here, y'all, and now he's a general manager of the Washington Commanders, and we're talking to him on Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, uh, Martin, I want to ch- flip script a little bit. I want to change a little bit what we're talking about before we uh, salute the day. Uh, we know back in 1921, uh, Frederick Douglass, I guess his name was Frederick Douglass, they called him Fritz. Pollard was the first black head coach in the NFL. Amazing running back that was hired uh, to coach for the, actually the very team he played for. I guess they were called the Akron Pros. Uh, and and um, while and I think he was still a player at the time, so he was coaching and playing. Uh, this is a, that's a black history fact, y'all. Uh, but now fast forward, uh, it's been a while. There are two black coaches in the league now. I guess Mike Tomlin and Lovey Smith. What what is the impact of the lack of diversity in coaching uh, and leadership in in the NFL? Well, yeah, it's, it's it has a pretty negative impact from, from a lot of standpoints. Um, you know, two of the biggest things are one, the false perception that that uh, African American coaches aren't good enough, or they aren't qualified, or there's something wrong with African American coaches. And I've been doing, I've been in this business. You know, um, 21 years as an executive, nine years as a player. In the three years in law school, I was I was around the business the whole time. So I got about 34 years in this. Wow! And, uh, right, and, and right. Nothing could be further from the truth because um, I've worked with some some of the best coaches. Uh, you know, um, and so so that's that it creates a sort of a false impression that that is going on. Um, the other big thing for us as a league problem is. Uh, the optic is is horrendous. Yes. You know, you, you look at the field. You got seventy seventy percent of the players out there African American, and you're saying that that there aren't there are only less than ten percent of the coaches are African American. You know, so it's a terrible terrible optic, um, and something I think that the league catches a lot, a lot of heat for. Uh, I really believe this, and I've t- had a lot of conversations with Troy Vincent, who I know very well, a friend of mine. And uh, I've been in conversations with the commissioner. The league office is doing everything they can do to change that. They are working hard to change it. That's so good. It's not to hear. the league office. Yeah. yeah, the league office is absolutely not the problem. They're totally focused on the, on the issue and trying to make changes. Uh, but each individual owner has to make an individual decision about what he wants to do with his individual club, mm. and that's where the, where where the rubber hits the road. That's where the problem lies. Um, 
So I don't have an easy solution. If I did, the problem would be solved. Somebody would have already thought of it. Yeah. But yeah. that's what the problem is, and uh, and that has to be uh, that has to be handled. It yeah. has to be figured out. It has to be addressed. And I, I know the legal office is working very hard to make that happen. Well, and obviously this has risen up again um, because of uh, Brian Flores, right? I mean, we recently heard about his the serious allegation and the lawsuit he filed after the Dolphins uh, let him go. Um, what was your, I mean, a guy in your situation, right? There's no, I, I thought about you when all that came down, and I, I, I wondered. I said, I, I said, I wonder what Martin, what's his reaction to this lawsuit and. You know, both as a black man, as a and as a front office executive. What? Tell me about that. Well, you know, my first reaction initially was just sort of surprise um, that it would get to that level where you have a coach file a class action suit against the league, um, and that was my first reaction, uh, simply because of the fact that um, you know, if you work in this business or any business. And you start suing the people that run it, you're going to have a hard time working in it, you know? And if yeah. you're passionate for this and you love this, then you want to work in it. That's, so that, that kind of caught me by surprise if it got to that point. The other thing that got me a bit after that, immediately after that, was really more disappointment. More disappointment that it got to a point where Coach Flores felt like that's what needed to happen. That's what he needed to do. Um, and... You know, it's, so it's 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 been kind of something that a lot of us have been, have been talking about. A lot of the executives and friends of mine that I know in the league have been talking about over the last couple of weeks, and uh, it's really disappointing. You know, um, it's, it's it it speaks to the magnitude of the issue and the hopelessness in terms of trying to work it out amongst ourselves. Wow! When you have to go and file a lawsuit about it. So, and, and that's uh, it's and really that, disappointing. Yeah, yeah, and that that's you sort of you know sort of admitting that there is an issue here that needs to be that needs to be you know worked on and needs to be solved and resolved. But at the same time, it, it seems like this particular action is putting everything in a in a situation where now it's all of our it's all our business we all in it now right and i wonder about the rooney rule right we keep hearing about the rooney rule and i was i've been telling our our listeners what it is and what it means and obviously more we learn we all learn more about it than we wanted to learn because of uh the flores lawsuit um is this rule working uh, as it was intended or is it time to take a look at it I think both. I think uh, I think in some situations it has worked as intended. Um, and, and you know, I've I've heard stories of coaches that were hired in the past um, who weren't really the number one candidate for the job, who were African American, and ended up getting it. You know, um, so I, I think there's situations where it, where it has worked. Um, and I think if you think about the idea of you know, if you're running a a business that's worth you know hundreds of millions of dollars, and you're going to change your leadership, and if you're IBM, if you're Microsoft, if you're Apple, you kind of want to have an idea when you before you let the CEO go who the next person is. But I think what was happening uh, back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, up until the Rooney Rule got got implemented, was uh, ownership was making that decision. And they weren't looking to anybody other than the one person they had already identified. So 
so the Rooney Rule was implemented to get them to look at some other candidates. And, you know, now you, you might narrow it down to four or five people who you want to talk to. And I've been through that process. I've hired head coaches. I've hired two head coaches in, in my past. Um, and, and that's kind of how it went. You know, we narrowed it down to, you know, a, a manageable number of candidates. And then we brought those people in and interviewed them. Um, and in those situations, obviously, where I was involved, I know the running rule was handled the way it should be handled. And I've been on interviews with other teams. I had to deal with Tennessee when I got let, when I got let go by Detroit. Um, and their ownership, uh, Mrs. Strunk, um, and the family, I met with them. And it was a legit interview. We spent six, seven hours together. Was It was sincerely asking about me as a person, about my family, um, about my plans in terms of moving there. We talked about neighborhoods. We talked about all kinds of things that showed me a genuine interest. Kind of like what happened when I interviewed here in Washington. Um, so I think there are situations, I, I know there are situations where the Rooney Rule is being implemented and utilized the way it was designed to be utilized. But then you have other situations, and I've been involved in them myself. When I've gone in at one team, I'm going to interview with them. I get a call two days before, oh, the owners aren't going to be there, but there'll be a second round. You can come in, and they'll, you'll come in for the first round. The owners will be there for the second round. So that was kind of odd. <laughs> then I get a call the night before. Yeah. The night before the interview, oh, the head coach is not going to be there either. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm meeting with a headhunter and like two other people, you know. So yeah, I knew then it, it wasn't it wasn't real, you know. Well, it, there wasn't a real opportunity there. You know what, Mister GM? I, it, it just says to me, like in so many other ways, you you can legislate morality. It's you can come up with the rules, but unless people want to lean in and do the right thing. It's hard to it's it's hard to just stand in the gap of that every single time. So there's that chance that it's gonna go sour. It's gonna be used in the wrong way because you know you can't legislate morality because people are gonna do their thing. I, I do want to ask you this though because I think I sort of heard you say that you you, you kind of wish that this that the Brian Flores situation might have been handled differently, and it's just sort of sort of unfortunate where it's headed, and the perception that it's giving. But I but I wonder, do you foresee though that the actions that his actions may be necessary to to hold the league to you know more accountability as it relates to the diversity issues? What do, what do you, what do you, what do you say to that? Yeah, you know, um, honestly, I, I, it could go either way. I'm, I'm interested to see how it all plays out. I don't know all the facts. Um, I don't know Coach Flores personally. Um, you know, I, I, I really don't know everything that happened, everything that transpired. I think his position is uh, that he interviewed uh, for a job with the Giants and he had already selected someone else. And that they knew when they brought him in, uh, that they had already decided on somebody else. That, that's what his, his position is. That's his position. That's I don't right. know all the facts there. I don't know all the facts there. Yeah. Uh, so it's difficult to say, but I, I can tell you what, I don't think it's, I don't think it's obviously not for the league. I don't think it's good for uh, the situation that we're in in terms of minority hiring. Uh, if you look at it, you know, um, I think there were two African-American GMs hired this year, uh, Kwesi Dolfo Mensa. Uh, Ryan Poles went to Chicago. Uh, Quasi and I worked together in San Francisco. 
um, and he was hired um, by the Minnesota Vikings. Um, so I think we're up to five or six African American GMs now. Uh, we didn't make much progress on the coaching front this year, and you know when the progress is this slow, then I can see where you know a coach would feel like we need to do something different. Yeah, you know, but yeah. uh, it's just been my experience that more can more frequently is accomplished working together, and that's what that's what my what my hope was. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see how, we'll see how it plays out. I, I really don't know. I wish well, I knew an answer to that. Yeah, well, well, listen, I'm glad you you know you came on to talk to us about it um, because this is the biggest day in 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 uh, National Football League activity today is Super Bowl <laughs> and you know and and that's kind of out there but it won't overshadow what is happening out there today right I mean I think you guys got some work to do and you're gonna do it I really love hearing that there's five uh, African-American black American GMs uh, but but I'm dealing with you we know you so we're most proud of you and your success and everything you you have done man so from from your home state um, we just want you to know how proud we are. But tell me who you got tonight. What's going to happen tonight? <laughs> Man, I wish that I, knew. I would go to Las Vegas. No, I, I can't do that, I guess. Yeah. It's going to be an exciting game. Two two really, really talented quarterbacks. I'm looking forward to seeing um, outstanding offenses on both sides of the ball. Some incredible defensive players, you know, Aaron Donald and guys like that playing out there. Um so it, it's, it's going to be a really, really exciting game. I don't know who's going to win, but I know I'll be tuned in and I'll be excited to watch it. Well, me too, man. And uh, uh, Martin, man, thanks for coming on this show, man. I, I, I do want to say before you go, though, uh, and let us know when you're home, okay? Glad to do it. And, and I look forward to seeing when I come out. I'll look forward to it. All right. Hey, listeners, right, Martin thanks, Mayhew, our guy, uh, stay with us a uh, short Pittman point right after this. It's time for Pittman's Point on 96.1 Jams. Welcome back to the show on this Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, no better man to talk to today than Martin Mayhew, uh, the general manager of the Washington Commanders. And uh, we didn't get to talk to him, y'all, about the change in the um, uh, in the name of the team and the new uniforms and all that. But uh, we'll, we'll do that next time. Uh, just let's pay attention to him. I haven't seen the new uniforms yet. I hope they're... Well, I hope they're nice. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Anyway, now it's time for the Pittman Point. Uh, tomorrow marks a grim day in Florida, y'all, and across the nation as we observe the fourth anniversary of the mass shooting uh, at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Y'all remember that 17 lives were brutally cut short by one lone gunman uh, with an assault rifle uh, and a stockpile of ammunition. Uh, 17 souls, y'all, 17 souls were senselessly taken away from us that day. Students and teachers who were in school simply to learn and to grow. Instead, a tragedy unfolded like we, we have never seen before. And we lost some really, really good people. Man, we still feel it. We still feel it today. But we must ask ourselves, y'all, as we as we look back at this, and now we're at the fourth anniversary, what has been done to pre prevent this from ever happening again? The answer is frustratingly little, very little. Then Governor Rick Scott signed a bill to arm teachers and place a few more restrictions on gun ownership. But 
as y'all know, uh, it remains way too easy for people to obtain these weapons of, well, they maybe mass destruction or war. We call it what y'all want to call it. But it's too easy to get these weapons. So the pit my point today is on the eve of the massacre of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, it's time to take real action on guns. It's time for weapons of war and mass destruction to be off our street. And it's time for much more stringent requirements for obtaining uh, obtaining a gun at all. And by the way, I own guns, so don't say I'm telling people they shouldn't have guns. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying they don't need to be in our streets and they don't need to position people to use weapons that that just do incredible harm to so many people. So we need to act now. This has been the Sean Pittman Show, y'all, and uh, happy Super Bowl Day. We'll see you in seven.